Welcome back to Canuck Central, coming to you live from Abbotsford, the site of 80s night, Canucks and Toronto Marlies. Puck drop coming up just after 7 here on Sportsnet 650, a game you can listen to. And joining us now is the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. He is Trent Call. Trent, always a pleasure having you on Canuck Central. Uh, how's your day been so far today? Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, getting excited for '80s night, just like you guys, I'm sure. Huh? <laughs> so, what what uh, what are you wearing tonight? Are you are you breaking out some of the clothes you you had back in the day, or what? <laughs> I don't think I have them still, but um, but yeah, I uh, and I don't think I brought them to Abbotsford with me, unfortunately. But I'll just go with the traditional suit, I think, for tonight. That's okay, boys. Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, I think the fans in the building will probably be excited about '80s night, but also looking forward to you know a good hockey game. Obviously, a critical stretch drive for for you and your team coming up here. Uh, what what's your what's your sense on on where your your team is at heading into this uh, important homestand? Uh, where do I think we're at? Like I'm 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 thrilled to death with how our team has played. I mean, we've. Uh... We've got, I think, five PTOs in our lineup. We've got guys, as you guys know, injuries in Vancouver. Call-ups are playing. We've got a, a boatload of injuries ourselves here. And uh, and you know what? I think from our goaltending, who's been one of our leading uh, candidates of how, how well we've played, our defense has been solid and getting more and more solid every day with additions. Uh, and our forwards, it's it's, uh, it's been a different group, and different guys have stepped up offensively and helped us win games. And uh, and we've kept it tight, though. It's been a very tight month mm-hmm. for us, and uh, we're proud of that. But uh, but every game is a challenge for us. We know that we're not uh, we're we're excited to play for sure. But we know that every every night we have to work extremely hard to give ourselves an opportunity to, to win. Well, well, fewer than a handful of teams have given up less goals than you have. Your team has so far this year in the entire AHL. What's kind of been the success to being so good defensively as a squad so far this season? I, well, I mean, first of all, I gotta completely give credit to our our defense. I mean, they are and our, our and our goaltenders. I mean, our, I think our D has has really bought in. Uh, we've had some guys like really step up and play really well. Like Devontae Stevens has been a guy who's been really consistent for us. Uh, you know, Noah Jilson, when he's been here, has been been great. You know what I mean? And so it's been very great on those guys, our defense group, but our two goalies have been fantastic. Those two guys have been our backbone for sure. And uh, But you know what? We all know what the systems are. We know that they work. We rely on them. It's a, it's a structure that we know that if we do the right things within it, that we'll have uh, usually good success. And, uh, and it's, it's been good. Guys have bought in. Like I said, I, I, I can't much with our group right now because the guys are working really hard and they're doing everything they can and scrapping tooth and clawing to get points. You mentioned the injuries and the PTOs and kind of getting some players uh, into the lineup uh, at an important time for the team and, and trying to keep that level. I'm curious, uh, in your job as, as the head coach, what do you try to impress upon some of the players getting the opportunity here and, and, and keeping the standard uh, the same that, that you would like for, for a regular healthy lineup? Uh, I don't change. I mean, I'm the same way, whether it's, you know, September or October or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter for me, like, you know, what month it is or what we're doing. We don't change and how we work and how we try to prepare our group. Uh, there's no uh, uh, blips from us. We're consistent. And I think that that helps the group be consistent. And they know there's an expectation level. And, uh, and we're trying to make sure that we, even though we've had a lot of games this month, we're trying to, and haven't had as many practices as probably you would like. So, you can keep sharp with your details, but 
Uh, we've done a lot of video with the group, uh, making sure that we're st- trying to stay sharp and what we need to do. And, uh, and it's been opportunity. The, the players that have had the opportunity have taken it. I think they've ran with it. And, uh, you know, it's been a very consistent effort. And I've been very, you know, like I said, I, I've been proud of our guys this month. We've had, we've had a pretty good month with, you know, with some, not only mm-hmm. with the injuries that have happened, but also to who those players are specifically too. I think the guys have done a great job. And as far as that buy-in goes, I think it speaks obviously to a lot of the work that you guys have done as a staff and the players themselves, but also having that carrot of the uh, hometown team, the big club, only being an hour or so away, depending on traffic, could be more, uh, <laughs> just, just west of uh, Abbotsford here. And we're seeing a number of guys get the recalls, right, whether it's just to practice with the team for a few days and collect that NHL check and all that sort of stuff. That proximity and the fact that so many guys are getting called up and getting those bit of opportunities, how valuable is that to get guys motivated for you know getting a payoff if you do play really well yeah you know what i don't know if if a player consistently thinks about those things you know what like what we're trying to do is no matter what we want to be successful no matter what we want to try to win games as a group because it it makes it exciting coming to the rink it makes it uh, fun and uh you know when the guys get rolling and i feel like they are like that right now like like, you want to play. You want to get in. Whether you're hurt, you want to get back in the lineup because we're doing good. And if you're you're part of it, hey, I feel good about myself. I'm, I'm playing well. I'm confident. So those are the situations we're trying to get our group in, and I think they are in a, in a good frame of mind. They're, uh, you know what, they, they believe they can win any game, which is fantastic. doesn't matter whom is playing. And, and that's the right mindset for us to have right now. And then if good things come out of that, where they are, like you say, getting the call and going up and getting sniffs, which is very, you're right, that is happening. So it makes it easier for us to keep everybody on track and in a good spot because they know the carrot is there. And if they play well, chances are they're going to get that call. Heard a couple of your players interviewed on uh, the station, Sportsnet 650, and they talked about uh, the energy that comes when certain players get that call. And uh, they, they, they understand, I think, their role uh, to, to compete night in and night out, but also uh, their spot in the organization to maintain that, that competition up and down the depth chart. Um, do, do you feel that as, as a coach and a coaching staff, that the, the energy is high with the group, even if there are a lot of moving parts, uh, the players are, are really dedicated and committed to what they can do individually and ultimately that leads to team success? Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks a little bit, too, about that uh, we haven't had to focus so much on team building as much this year because we spend a ton of time on the road. Uh, you can imagine American League team, you guys know, you see our, our there's no buses down the road for an hour and <laughs> yeah. play somebody. So you're, you're on planes and trains and, and buses everywhere. So that's been great. And I think that uh, just kind of establishing how we want to play every night and then also, like, uh, too, like, Coming to the rink the next day after a win and having a coffee or we talk about sometimes our bagel breakfast if we're really fortunate or whatever. Like those are things that I think that uh, we're trying to create that successful environment, but also like being around guys and, and happy for guys. And, and, and we want it's kind of a group that I think is is happy. Of course, they all want to get the call themselves, but they're also happy for their teammates to do well, too, because that's what we're. We're creating, and we've got a lot of guys, too, that are having, you know, the best years of their career, and, and so it's nice. Like, they're they're on it. They're, they're feeling good about themselves, and the other guys are getting opportunities to play because we've been scrambling to just even fill a lineup sometimes. So it's been a, it's been a different environment for sure, but one that uh, is, has been great, and, and I really like where our, where our guys are, their headspace right now. 
Well, uh, I want we want to ask about a few of your players, uh, including one, of course, Jack Rathbone, who might be on the verge any day now to perhaps get a chance with the big club, depending on how that kind of all unfolds. And he started the year with, with the Canucks and then got sent down to Abbotsford and obviously had that scary situation with that hit he took from behind and had to sit out a bit and then came back. How's his progression been and how ready do you think he is when he does get the call to try the NHL again? Uh, you know, just being honest, just before he got injured, I thought that was like his best, uh, um, I was going to say his best showing. And what I mean by that is that he's had, he had about a 10 game span where he had played 10 games in a row, got himself acclimated and got himself up and running, feeling good about his game. You guys saw his player of the week in the league. Like I was, I was happy with where he was at since he's come back. I think just off the top of my head, Jack has maybe played four games since uh, coming back from the injury. Uh, and so for us right now, we want to get him up, we want to get him running again. I think that's what we need for, for him. And, uh, but it, it's been a, it's been a good progression, but I mean, man, I wish I could say that Jack's played 35 games or 40 games for us here this year in a, in a row and really kind of got himself kind of in a, in a good, you know, rhythm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately that's not the case scenario. So what we're focused is now is trying to get him in as good a possible rhythm as we can get in here. We've got four games this week. And uh, like you guys say, if, if he was to get the call, hopefully I think the more games he plays here, the more prepared he'll be. With that tight schedule and uh, you've had a, a number of goalies play for you this year, what's, what's the thinking uh, this week and heading toward the end of the season with um, the goaltending situation for your team? I think it was, uh, I think it was like uh, the last four games or, or five, yeah, four sets of games. We've had, uh, heading in the middle of March, we played at home Manitoba, and I knew we were going to have seven back-to-backs for the next. This is this is what we're in right now. Right. So yep. I'm not so focused on what the end result is, but you know, for, so far we've been sharing the load. Uh, both goalies have played great, um, and at some point here, I'm going to have to start getting some guys in some back-to-back scenarios too, just to prepare them as well. But you know, I, I've liked how we've been. I've liked the fresh start. You know, I, I'm one of those guys with analytics. You know, goalie coming in the second night usually it's it's already a few percentage points down. So, but uh, but you know what? I I can't. It's one of the best problems and most enjoyable things I have is picking the starting goalie. That's for sure here every night. Yeah, when and it's worked out well with the way Spencer Barton has played and the way the way Mikey DiPietro has played as well. And you know, a guy like Artur Silovs, of course, is now in the ECHL, and he's a talented goalie as well. How how tough is that when you have three goalies that are talented, and then and a guy like Spencer Martin just plays so well, you have to keep him on. How challenging has it kind of been to juggle those three goalies and make sure that they all get that ice time, especially those younger guys that need it. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's been a struggle. And we, we went through the three guys from the start of the year. Like Spencer Martin, before he call, got called up uh, to Vancouver, was he had seven starts down here. He didn't. He was the one who had the least amount of starts, you know. So it's amazing how, you know, like trying to share the load, it, it's difficult with three, but that's the situation. That's fine. But I'm really happy that, that Artie, I think Artie is a very good goaltender, a very good prospect for our team. And he needs starts. He needs to play. And and putting him in almost in our situation now, it's almost not even fair because, you know, after a while there he hadn't played and, and we needed him to get up and running. And, and I think it's it's a great scenario. So that'll prepare him more if we were to need him and he's coming back in. And, and then I feel confident very much with, with Archers. I think he's a, like I said, yeah, I, I'm really happy with his his play, his attitude. He, he's going to be a good goaltender for sure in my eyes. 
with the team coming back home and, and some of the excitement uh, ahead of this homestand, I think one of the players that the fan base at large is obviously interested in is, is Danila Klimovic, who's had you know a, a pretty intriguing season uh, for you and your team. Uh, where is he at with his game uh, at, at this point in the season? Uh, you know what? I think I think he's done a really good job. I mean, we, we're, we've asked an 18-year-old guy from a different country with a huge language barrier to come in and play uh, throughout the year. I think mm-hmm. the guys have done a great job of sheltering him, uh, bringing him in, being good teammates to him. Um, he's had his challenges certain nights, but there's been other nights where, like, he's made a progression, and it's been. And I know it's small, and I know it might be, but but uh, are some nights it's great. Like, and I think it's. But it's been a really good year for him, I think, in my eyes, because it's not an easy league to come into as a 20-year-old or a 21 or even 23-year-old. So, I mean, for Danilo to come in as an 18-year-old guy, he's now 19, but he's and, – and I don't know what level of coaching he's had in the past either, but he's – you know, to learn at the pro level is not an easy thing to do And uh, as a young man. And he's done a good job. He's getting better. There's some nights where I see some unbelievable flashes of great things. And, and there's other nights that we're still working on, you know, yeah, you got to work harder here. Or some simple basic things as well. And so, but, but it's all okay. It's part of the progression of the, of the young man. And, and I've been happy with how he's moved along this year. And he's probably one of our games play leaders as well. He's played a lot of games, that's for sure. And, and, and mm-hmm. had a good opportunity here. Uh, Trent, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. We appreciate your time, and best of luck against the Marlies. You know there's never any love for Toronto teams in the lower <laughs> mainland in Abbotsford. That's right. Well, we're hoping for a double-edged sword tonight, you know, win against Toronto, those those nasty Toronto people, and also the, the <laughs> let's make sure 80s night can really kind of send it over the top for us. So I expect you guys to be looking pretty sharp tonight. So. Hey, I, I, I'm going to do my best. Maybe I'll just leave an extra sh- uh, shirt button unbuttoned, although nobody wants to see that. <laughs> All right. All right, boys. Have a good night. Uh, Thanks, Trent. Thanks, Trent. Uh, uh, That is Abbotsford Canucks head coach Trent Call joining us here on Canucks Central. As we get you set for a big matchup, Abbotsford Canucks Toronto Marlies puck drop coming up just after 7 right here on Sportsnet 650. And, yes, it is 80s night, the theme at the Abbotsford Center, and we are going to talk to Stan Smeal, a player who was one of the Canucks best during the 80s. Defining players of the decade for sure. Absolutely. So we'll talk talk to him about the 80s, 80s night, and just the organization as a whole here in Abbotsford and also the big club uh, down in Vancouver as well. And then Ryan Johnson will also join us coming up a bit later to really get into uh, what is going on behind the scenes and development and all those sort of things. So a big focus here. Uh, for the Abbotsford Canucks on Sportsnet 650 here tonight. Satyar Shah with Israel Fear. Keep getting your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650-650. I did find it interesting on the whole goalie aspect too because I'd say, I mean, I think we all agree, the strongest part of this organization development-wise and organizationally, foundationally, has been goaltending, right? Whether it's Demko, Ian Clark, you know, the way Spencer Martin's played, Di Pietro sure. finding his game. And, and I do think as much as Artur Silovs has found himself kind of being the third goalie here and has found himself in the AHL a lot of the time, I don't think people should take that as this guy's game isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised that in a few years, whether it's Vancouver or elsewhere, Artur Silovs is playing NHL games and there's going to be a conversation about, that guy played in the ECHL. Like, what <laughs> happened there? And it's like, well, usually that's not a great sign. But sometimes it does just comes down to starts. It comes down to what's happening. And had the Canucks not signed Spencer Martin, they'd be Silovs and DiPietro here the whole time, right? 
But I think Spencer Martin came in and played so well, and he surprised everyone, and they kind of had to lean on him because at that point in the season, he was the guy that was going. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think people should not sell their stock at Artur Silovs because talking to some people in the organization and some of the goalie guys, there's still the thought that he yep. could have some potential here. Yeah, exactly. That That's exactly what I was about to say, Sat. You, you talk to uh, the goalie people out there, and it's – it's a different part of it, and that's why I was curious to, to hear what Trent Call had to say about uh, the group right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that's trying to, to push for more games this season. The balance at this level um, and the difficulties in building up those pipelines, not just for the Canucks. And I think you're right, Sad. It's been a shining strength now for the last number of years, certainly since Ian Clark's been back and involved and now empowered, I think, to really put his stamp on not just the, the, the NHL goaltenders, but the goalies across the system. There's only so many games. Yeah, You can sign, you know, we look back at Canucks uh, free agency day this summer and they signed five right shot D-men and look, they hope that some of them play for the Canucks and they hope that some of them play for the Abbotsford Canucks and they'll, they'll go from there. You sign goalies and you sign a player like Spencer Martin, a veteran player, yeah. at least a veteran player in, in the minors here uh, who was still looking for an NHL opportunity when he got it with the Canucks in Vancouver, looked good, but then that, that, that's a huge that's a huge mm-hmm. hole. You can't do the same thing like you do with forwards and defensemen because it, it makes it really difficult, especially with, you know, a young goalie like Silovs where they need games. Yeah, and last year Di Pietro didn't get a chance to play too many games. Same thing with Arthur Silovs, right? So that really hurt those guys' development as far as getting some ice time, but you know, it's going to be intriguing to see how that works out too here. Because next season, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Canucks are probably not bringing Yaro Halak back to be the backup next year. But I think Spencer Martin might have a chance at that. Uh, could I see? I mean, what makes sense for the Canucks to do next season would be to go super cheap on your backups. You know, sign uh, Spencer Martin to a one-way deal. You know, for less than a million or whatever it is. Sign another goaltender. Um, you know, for that same type of minimum type of money and let those guys duke it out and see who stays as your backup and who ends up in Abbotsford and give even Di Pietro a chance. I think with how good Ian Clark has been at developing goalies and how well this organization has done in that regard, you got to be in the dirt cheap backup options next year. And you could probably take a guy and rehabilitate him the way they did Spencer Martin here and all of a sudden becomes a valuable player for you. That's the thing I'm really intrigued by for next season. What type of guys do you bring in and what type of value can you find? Because to me, when you have a goalie coach like Ian Clark in this foundation organizationally, you should not be spending over a million on your backup when you have Thatcher Demko as your starter. It does sound hard to believe at this point, but there were still some minor question marks about Demko and the workload that he could take on. He's blown all expectations out of the water. He's been incredible for this team pretty much every night that he's played. And I think that where the Canucks are at from that cap perspective and where they're at with the competition of their team and the composition of their team is that that is, that is a risk that I think you have to be willing to take with Demko now because he's, he's earned it. And look, goalie performance fluctuates, even the best players in the league. Uh, look at Connor Hellebuck this year. He's not having a tremendous season for the Jets. Now, how much of that is environment? How much of that is random variance in luck? You can't always expect that Thatcher Demko is going to be a top five goalie, but you have to at least be willing to take the risk and not 
put some dollars in a backup like they did this year with Yarrow Halak, which um, on its face, when it happened, everybody sort of knew knew the deal. This is a, a veteran goalie mm-hmm. who's going to be able to come in. Um, the hope was that the performance would probably be a little bit better than what we've seen. But you understood the thought yeah. process behind it. The, the, the difference now is, is that there are no questions about what Thatcher Demko can be for this team. We'll have the same conversations that we had maybe about Jacob Markstrom. Uh, is he playing too many games? That kind of stuff. Trying to make sure that he's fresh. We've had zillions of conversations about Ian Clark yeah. and um, his thought process with, with goalies and rest and, and all of the, the resets and all of that stuff. We haven't heard a ton of that this year because Demko has been so good and has been He's been playing a lot because Halak has not been necessarily um, super reliable for this team. So 100%. they are in a position where, yes, you're sad. They absolutely should be looking at they have the established goalie. He's still pretty young. They've committed to him contract-wise. Let him be the man and trust your, your goalie department. Trust the the players, uh, the, the people that are going to make the decision on those players um, to find yourself an NHL backup and, and maintain that depth. Mm-hmm. And then this is why it's, it's such a, a fascinating position to talk about. You want to have a reliable NHL starter. You want to have a good backup. You want to probably have a veteran that can come in if there's a serious injury. Because as you know, if, oh, a, play, yeah. if a player goes down, it, th- you're not getting a veteran from, from somewhere else. And you want to maintain a prospect pipeline for the young goalies that Precisely. you drafted and developed. It's, it's really quite the challenge. It is. And it's going to be fascinating to see ultimately how the Canucks handle this. And we would be remiss if we don't mention... Uh, Curtis Sanford and the work he's done here in Abbotsford as a goalie coach and how well he's worked with Spencer Martin and the younger guys too and you know really solidifying this as an organizational strength for the Vancouver Canucks in the goalie department. All right, keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox. We'll get to some of those uh, as the show goes on here. On the other side, we are going to be joined by Ryan Johnson, Canucks assistant general manager as Canucks Central rolls on, presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. It is sad and easy. More coming up in the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You are listening to Canuck Central, brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It is Canuck Central, Satyar Shaw, with Israel Fair, coming to you live from the Abbotsford Center, getting you set for the Abbotsford Canucks and Toronto Marlies puck drop coming up just after 7. We are going to be joined by Ryan Johnson coming up in a few minutes. And if you missed uh, our first hour, we got into the salary cap going up by a million. Uh, Connor Garland, his recent play and how he fits into this organization. And we had a conversation with Trent Call. And joining us now is Canucks Assistant General Manager and a man who's been running the Abbotsford Canucks very well. And the Utica Commons before that, Ryan Johnson joining us. Ryan, uh, always a pleasure getting you on the show. Uh, how have you been enjoying 80s night so far are you getting ready do you have like your attire picked out even if you're going to be sitting at home tonight uh, I, w- I wish i could tell you uh, i did uh, but uh no not, not participating like maybe some others uh, unfortunately but um but yeah obviously excited for a night i think it's uh you know with our organization whether it's in vancouver abbotsford anytime uh, a toronto team uh, comes to town i think it's uh, even extra exciting for people in the area and the province so um it, it, you know excited for the next couple of days here so uh putting you on the spot like what's your favorite movie from the 80s 
Like, and I'll give you a few, like, Breakfast Club, Star Wars, Back to the Future. Like, you know, do you have, like, a favorite 80s movie? Oh, geez. Uh, you're, you're put, you're, you're, I'm usually not one to, um, answer off the cuff. I, I'm one that you, you need to, like, send this two days in advance and I can give you an answer that I can, that I can stand by. Um, so let me think about that. All right. Maybe at another time I can, I can give you a more honest answer. So. All right, sounds good. We'll 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 do a rain check on the on the '80s movie question. <laughs> uh, now, as far as the Abbotsford Canucks themselves go, how would you assess this season? I mean, you know, it's a winning year, a, a positive goal differential. There's been a lot of challenges, but how do you guys feel about the overall year so far in Abbotsford? Well, it's been it's been outstanding in regards to the the community, to the embracement from the fans, uh, organizationally. As you guys know, we kind of sprinted into this um, coming from Utica in last year and making the decision, and uh, a lot had to happen in a short amount of time. A lot of very good people um, contributing to us even making it to the starting line at the start of this year. And then, uh, as as everyone knows, you're faced with a bunch of adversity uh, within our community and the flooding, uh, mm-hmm. the COVID situation, the injuries, uh, and also starting uh, starting the year with basically a very limited training camp um, and a lot of new faces. I knew, I told everybody right from the beginning, this is going to take us a while to get going and to, to really, you can't create overnight a, a, a team feeling. Uh, I thought at first we were a bunch of just good players that were in the same room and it was going to take us time to become a team. And I think you see the performance of the group, uh, the job that Trent Call uh, and our staff there has done uh, navigating through all this adversity that uh, I feel like we've come out of the right, the right side of things. And slowly as we, uh, there was a, a real small period of time where we felt we had our group together uh, and we had a pretty successful run in a short amount of time. And uh, I think, you know, up, hopefully the next three, four weeks here as we gather ourselves and, and looking towards the playoffs that we can get that group back together here. Given where the team is at right now, Ryan, and, and having this homestand ahead of you, uh, you know, a stretch of six games, uh, the team is, has got a lot to play for. Uh, we talked to Trent earlier today, and uh, he acknowledged that there have been some you know, challenges with the lineup in terms of uh, PTOs and injured players, but that the players themselves have really stepped up individually, and, and that's led to some team success here. What's your outlook or your hope for this homestand uh, where you get really your last kick at the can uh, for an extended stretch of games here in Abbotsford, at least in the regular season? Well, I'd like us to continue with the momentum we had coming off the, um, off the road trip, to go into that trip uh, and come back 3-1 and one after a very tough back-to-back um, with some big wins and some big efforts, uh, again, with the injuries. We've had some, some players that have come in here uh, unsuspecting and have really given us um, uh, done a great job of giving us huge efforts. Guys having to not just play but step up in the lineup and contribute offensively. I think we've had guys that have had to adapt their roles because of uh, the injuries. Um, I think our, obviously our goaltending has done an outstanding job. So it's. I want to. I'm hoping our group can can carry up the momentum of that road trip. Thankfully, we get to come off the trip and get right back at it against a very good. You know, we have got two very good teams uh, coming in here over this the course of this week. So uh, I still. I've said it. You know, two and a half months ago, and I think people thought I was crazy, but um, I'd love to see our community 
the Fraser Valley and, and uh, the, the people have done a lot of great work there in Abbotsford, uh, be rewarded with um, home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs. And, and we've got some very excellent teams that are ahead of us at this point. But if we can take care of our, our own business and not worry about scoreboard watching, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we've got a chance here. And like I said, it'd be something I'd, I'd really, for our organization, uh, for the city of Abbotsford, the people, the fans, I think uh, that would be a great reward for, um, you know, for the support they've shown us throughout the year. Well, the opportunity does exist with the goaltending you guys get and also how great the team has played defensively overall so far this year. And, you know, obviously success is a big part of what you guys want to do here and especially for the organization, the community as well. But also, big picture, it is to develop players. And this organization obviously has graduated a lot of guys to the National Hockey League Club and a lot of the guys here are more veteran and there are a few guys that, you know, kind of fit that developmental mold that might be here long term like Klimovich and Rathbone and, you know, we saw Lockwood is now in the National hockey league team as far as that development goes what type of strides do you feel like the organization has been able to make having the development so close to vancouver as opposed to being a utica for those young guys well i think we've we've got the right people in place like i said trent call and his staff and and not just our coaches but our trainers the resources the skills coaches skating coaches we've we've put it all uh into place there uh made sure from an off-site standpoint from the training, from the nutrition, from the mental performance coach that, that we had on board, uh, we've we've made sure that we've checked every box of making sure we had every resource possible to, to develop these young players. I think if you look at um, through the course of this year, even from um, whether it's our goaltending, you know, is Trent is uh, Spencer Martin a young young? No, but look at the development path that he's had working with. Obviously, Curtis Sanford, the development and progression of uh, Mike DiPietro, Archer Silovs, who, you know, it's been a challenge with our through COVID and being isolated kind of in Western Canada. Uh, but even the growth of him and now going down to Trois Rivières in the East Coast League and having success. Um, and you talk about other young players that uh, have taken a huge step, and Will Lockwood, Jack Rathbone, has unfortunately been interrupted between injury and COVID, and, but continues to progress. Uh, you touched on Klimovich, like, you know, what people don't understand and the patients and, and again, what the staff has done in working with him. And if you, if you sat back and looked at where he was in September and you look at where he is now for an 18 year old that turned 19 throughout the season, that is on pace to do what he's done offensively is really unheard of at that age. But, but also, you know, wash that aside, look at the details, look at his puck management, um, the the pace that he's playing with, using, uh, learning how to use his teammates in all three zones um, to get to where he wants to be, and that's to, to use his abilities to score goals. But the pres- progression of him has been uh, phenomenal, and like I said, almost unheard of at, at this level for a kid that age. So a lot of great stories, and then a lot of players that you may deem as older, but and that's in today's game, guys in their mid-20s are now considered older <laughs> but a lot a lot of guys having career years and guys that as, as you say were older i've had my eye on for a couple of years that i felt could come in here uh support our group support our big club which we need we, we've had a lot of players go in and play games that have helped us sustain ourselves in vancouver and that's another important part of of having a minor league team and developing and also allowing through adversity of your big club to sustain themselves and have guys go in that can keep you competitive. So I think it's been an outstanding 
uh, you know, start to things there. And we still got some meat on the bone the, the, the month of April and hopefully position ourselves. And like I said, get it. We get a lot of guys out with injury, get some guys back up and going. And we'll see what happens. It became well known in Vancouver that uh, what had been set up in Utica was was pretty special. There was a, a real strong foundation for that development. Uh, but coming to Abbotsford and having the proximity to Vancouver and the big club seems to have brought on some other other advantages uh, with pl- players getting uh, faster recalls, being maybe being part of uh, Canucks practices in Vancouver, that sort of thing. Um, do you f- sense that that? Uh, that energy, that impact of, of being closer to Vancouver and, and, and the NHL Canucks has had uh, an effect on, on the players getting an opportunity here in Abbotsford? Absolutely, and, and I think there's some accountability too to, to both sides. Uh, being that close and that accessible for guys in our big team, knowing um, th- they've got to perform and, and carry the weight up there. There's, there's uh you know, 20 guys down the road that are chomping to take their spot. And, and for our guys in Abbotsford, knowing how accessible they are and how quickly uh, they can get that opportunity, uh, you know, and then you mix in for cap purposes or things that we're able to maneuver um, to make things, you know, in a lot of different ways easier on us as an organization. But then I also think from, from a fan engagement from the province and, um, People being able to see it firsthand. People never saw able to, to really see the progression of maybe a Jonah Gadjevich or a right. Cole Lind or, or Zach McEwen. Or you, you heard about it. I mean, they want, you could read about it. You could watch clips. But now for somebody that was sitting 10, 10 days ago in the Abbotsford Center watching Will Lockwood and then turn on their TV Saturday and watching him play in a, in a game in Dallas that, with our season on the line, I think for our fans and the community and uh, the province for that matter, that is a whole new engagement of development and seeing it before their eyes, which I, which I think is really cool for, for our fan base. Ryan Johnson is our guest, general manager of the Abbotsford Canuck, director of player personnel for the Vancouver, player director of per- development for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, it, it's really interesting watching you know, this organization, try to take that next step and move forward into the future. And, you know, there's a new management team in as well uh, with Jim Rutherford as a president, Patrick Alvin, and a number of other members in the front office as well. What has it kind of been like working together with them now and not only looking at the rest of this year, but also kind of plotting out what development looks like long term and how this organization is really trying to take that next step in the future? Yeah, well, Jim and Patrick have, have been phenomenal right from, from the get-go. It's, uh, you know, when uh, transition from a management side of things is, is difficult, you know, in the off-season. To, to do that, I've said to our group, to do that right in the middle of the season while you're, you're pushing for the playoffs and, and you've got people uh, establishing their, their roles, uh, working with getting to know others in the group, getting to know the players in, in Vancouver, getting to know the players in Abbotsford, diving into the, uh, the prospect pool and what that looks like. It's, 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 um, it's an all-encompassing situation, as you can imagine. But uh, we worked through the initial stages, and I think when you speak on development from, from my side of it, we talked uh, very closely as a group, um, you know, I'd like to expand our group. I'd like to expand the, the, the people that are on the grounds, and we'll slowly work on that. Uh, I'd like to expand into to have uh, develop full-time development staff in Europe. Uh, we've got so many uh, drafted players that are over there that, uh, you know, especially with COVID challenges, mm-hmm. to, to be able to look, uh, see them in the whites of their eyes and, 
and uh, watch them play in person has been extremely difficult, as you guys know. So um, I'd like to expand the department. Uh, I think Jim and, and Patrick are, are on board with that, and uh, I think as we get into the spring here, we'll, we'll start to, uh, to add on to that and continue to build out that department and support our young players. Well, that's really interesting what you just mentioned as far as trying to build that department and, and try to have more of a foothold in Europe. How big of a competitive advantage can that be, given how a lot of teams might be reluctant to do those things considering the cost and all that stuff going on? Like, Could that really be an inefficiency you guys can exploit? Yeah, I think so. And it's something, uh, Chris Higgins and I have talked about even, uh, you know, we hold development camps over here. We've, we've got so many players over in Europe. Would it make sense to have a development camp over there? Um, but just things uh, like to push the envelope a little bit more. Uh, would like to add some staff to have, have more support. It's obviously with, uh, you know, with, between Abbotsford and things uh, with responsibilities in Vancouver, I've got a lot uh, on my plate. I'd like to bring more people in, more opinions. Uh, different different backgrounds as we've done in in different apartments as well. So it's something uh, heading into maybe the summer and into next season. I'd I'd like to continue to grow and we've got good people and good support there already as as far as our resources from our skating and skills people. But I'd like to to build it out a little bit more and add some people to support it. One player who uh, won't be part of uh, Abbotsford at least next season is, is Aiden McDonough, who's decided to go back to Northeastern for his senior year of uh, NCAA hockey. Uh, we know that the organization for the last number of years has had a ton of success developing players or having players develop in college hockey. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on what, where Aiden's game's at and, and what another year of NCAA play uh, could do for, for his development? Well, first off, I'm happy for Aiden. You, you got to understand is that this is a difficult decision for young men. They commit to a university, um, and and sometimes it, it you really respect when um, somebody wants to see it through, or they feel they've got more left to do before they take that step. And and uh, as Aiden knows, this was not a hey. Um, we want you to come out and this is now it's it's a it's always a two-way street in these decisions and i think people were a little bit shocked maybe to hear that without understanding that uh, i went through this a couple of years ago with will lockwood and going back for his fourth year and the relationship and the trust and that we had together was you know he and i were on the phone four or five different times over a course of probably six weeks and it was a stressful decision for him. Not that, and not from my side of it, is he not going to be a Canuck or the, the relationship was already there. It was making sure that we do what is best for the kid. And, and it has to be a two-way street that the, the, the individual is ready to take that step. And not just a hockey man, a mental. So this is a whole new adjustment to living on your own, being a professional, understanding what that is. And, and when they feel they've got unfinished business and they want some improvement, they want to see what do we do as an organization? Well, we continue to support them. And that was the exciting part of my conversation with Aiden. Uh, people felt, oh, is there disappointment? Not whatsoever. I mean, I think we were excited for him and, and happy that he could make a decision that he felt good about as a person. And as Patrick and I, and we told him, we, we're going to support you uh, completely. And now what, what can we do in the next four months? Get you ready for next year and, and continue to evolve yourself as a player. So a year from now, you're ready to come kick the door down. Um, and, and so it's, it's, 
it's an extreme, extremely stressful situation, as you can imagine, for these young young men. And uh, I'm excited for him to go back and finish off things there at Northeastern and make the improvements and that he wants to. And in a year's time, uh, you kind of forget about, uh, you know, the, right. the last week or, you know, it, like I said, I went through this with Will Lockwood and it was an amazing lesson for me on somebody that is, is making a decision they feel right about, that they'll feel ready when they come out. And there's no question with Will and, and with Aiden was, you know, they're, they're Canucks. They want to be Canucks um, and they want to be ready when they take that step. So I, I was I was happy for Aiden that he was able to come to a decision that he felt good about. Well, it's encouraging for the fan base to see their relationship is there and that that strong relationship, despite the fact that players have options, still leads them to join the Vancouver Canucks organization. Ryan, uh, you're always gracious with your time. We appreciate it so much, but we'll hold your feet to the fire next time you're on. Well, I want to know <laughs> what 80s movie you like the best. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take a deep dive into it make sure I've got the right answer for you, I promise. You got it. Thanks so much, Ryan. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, that is Ryan Johnson, uh, Director of Development for the Vancouver Canucks and also the General Manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. Going to so. be firing up Disney Plus <laughs> and uh, going through <laughs> 80s movies. I put him on the spot. Next time. I- I'm not going to take it easy next time. I'm like, you got to give me an answer. you got to give me an answer. But uh, do you have a favorite 80s movie? Oh, man. I, I don't want to expose myself as too much of a nerd. but uh, It's Breakfast Club, isn't it? No, it's Blade, R- Blade Runner <laughs> oh, is right. my favorite right. 80s movie. Yeah, but, right. I mean, I, I actually just rewatched Back to the Future recently mm-hmm. and I was um, it holds really up. pleased how much it held up. You know, I it really up, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, what else? I mean, like you could go you could go uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of, of the Lost Ark. That that's a, a crowd pleaser. Um, depending on the mood, the shining. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Look, I'm I, I you know, I've I've done some writing in my day, Sad. I I, I, I I can relate a little bit to uh, Jack Nicholson in the shining. Yes. Maybe not uh, the murderous parts, but uh, the frustration the frust- with, the, with the with the written word. Writers writer's block is a real thing. <laughs> and it can lead you down a very, very dark path at times. That is absolutely true. Um and you know <laughs> as far as RJ in the conversation we had with him though I really thought it was interesting what he mentioned about expansion, development, and scouting into Europe, right? How, Absolutely. You know, we love to have more of a foothold there. We love to have more of a presence there and be able to get our own eyes on guys, you know what I mean, and be able to meet those guys in person. But obviously that comes with cost. If yep. you're talking about setting up a hub or at least have guys that are going to Europe a lot and spending time scouting there, and it's also going to be individuals like, you know, Ryan Johnson and those in front of us that will go and make those trips. That will be quite the cost to it. But if the organization is willing to foot that bill, I really believe, Izzy, that can be one of the market inefficiencies, right? It's, yeah, people scout Europe, but how much do they scout Europe? Mostly it's the amateur side that gets scouted, but how about the pro side? Sure. And how about, you know, really setting something up where you have something tangible and something built out in Europe that you can spend more resources in drafting. It's going to cost money, but if the organization is willing to foot that bill, that can turn out to be quite the advantage for the organization long term. There's necessary investment there, um, and it's it's the, those are the stories that you often hear out of the draft, right? So yeah. that, uh, maybe a little bit less now that the, there's some more knowledge out there, but I, I do think that maybe the average hockey fan would be surprised about um, how little input uh, certain teams might have mm-hmm. with, with Europe. And it's 
a lot of trust in one or two people that are, are running, uh, you know, a junior team or running an organization. Man, there. I, I've he- I've heard stories, not with Vancouver specifically, about like how somebody will call a player on a different team, like, "Hey, you played against this guy. What's your what do you think of this guy?" Right? Because we don't yeah. have scouts out there. Like they essentially will call yeah. former NHLers, people that work there, and just, "Hey, straight up, what do you think of this yep. guy?" And they'll kind of take that instead of having dedicated scouts. And you know, if you're having dedicated scouts and spilled that out, it gives you a, a Bigger advantage as opposed to kind of call the random person. I'm like, hey, by the way, what do you think of this guy? You know? Absolutely, yeah. And as you said, Sad, it's a it's a serious financial decision, and there's a reason that not every team out there is is making that commitment yeah. and is relying on uh, built-in relationships and, and a network that's already been established. Uh, but I think you're right. I, I do see that as being a, a huge market inefficiency and one that uh, is talked about often in Vancouver as a, as a market because of the interest in the team. And when the team has success, uh, it is a, is a financially viable outfit uh, that can spend a little bit and, mm-hmm. and broaden the, the base of depth and development and in going overseas is uh, i think absolutely should be part of that conversation we spent a lot of time talking with new, the new front office yeah people being added in different perspectives stuff like that that's all great and that is all exactly out of kind of leadership 101 or uh, planning 101 playbooks then from there it's okay well what are we actually doing with this extra brain power what are the tangible things that we can go out there and do is it extra scouting in Europe? Right. What kind of development uh, are, are we talking about? And it, it sounds like the, co- the right conversations are being had. That, that, that would be my big takeaway. That at least it's something that's being talked about. Doesn't mean that the Canucks tomorrow are going to announce the, some academy <laughs> that they're putting up in Europe or something <laughs> like that. But what is an academy for ants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like those, are good, those are the good conversations. Uh, I, I would be optimistic uh, after hearing what Ryan Johnson had to say. Oh, for sure. Now, hey, it's something like he mentioned that he wants to do, and we'll see ultimately if it gets to that point. But this organization, when it was at its peak, didn't just spend to the cap. It also spent outside of the cap on things that aren't capped, and that is development, and that is finding other resources and ways to, you know, enhanced performance so right. to speak oh, right the Tor- Toronto Marlies are here um, playing the the Abbotsford Canucks tonight and in, in, in Wednesday that's a team that's had a lot uh, a lot of it at the athletic where, where right. I work written about how uh, they've tried to, to play that game advantageously and, and signing uh, certain players to certain contracts and the relationship that they have also being yeah. in Toronto and all of that kind of stuff I mean Ryan said that this is just the first year and there were some complications uh, outside of the control of the organization and, and the hockey players uh, with the flooding and then obviously with COVID, something that affected everybody uh, in that transition. And, and I do think, in, I think his point's an interesting one, that we got the sense toward the end of that time in Utica how important and special it was for them to develop players there and that they had you know, all the practice time and a really close-knit group and a, and a, a well-supported community but for those players, he, he name-checked guys, guys that aren't with the organization right. anymore, Jonah Gadjevich, Cole Lynn, if they had been in this environment, you know. What, does and, it turn and, out and, differently? And, yeah, closer to Vancouver, right. th- there are definitely uh, follow-up questions to that. Well, absolutely, right? And I think as far as taking that next step as an organization, how much are you willing to spend on that development, right, and the resources that an AHL team needs? And they've done some of that so far this year, but if you take that next step and look for more 
you know, market inefficiencies like expanding to Europe and doing those sort of things. It takes money, but if you're willing to foot that bill, that shows a real ambition. And we'll see if they ultimately do, but it does show a more ambition because it's one thing to spend to the cap. It's another to invest outside the cap, and that's something this team hasn't done as much over the years. And if they get back to doing that, mm -hmm. then you can start building together, okay, what, it, what a bright future looks like for this organization. Uh, keep getting your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We're going to answer and react to a bunch of your texts and questions on the other side. And we'll break down what's going on with your Vancouver Canucks. It is Sad and Izzy on Canucks Central on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Central, live on location at the Abbotsford Center, getting you set for Abbotsford Canucks taking on the Toronto Marlies. Satyar Shah with Israel Fair and joining us now, Canucks legend Stan Smeal, tableside for 80s night nonetheless. And, and Stan, we won't throw movie questions by you or whatever, <laughs> but I, I know from the 80s, now listen, I was born in 84, so it's a bit ahead of my time, but I've seen the videos, I've seen the pictures. You were a man of fashion back in the 80s, so I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't, bring, out, you didn't bring out the bell bottoms and stuff. Yeah, right? What yeah. happened? Well, I have the line uh, green suit. Oh man! <laughs> in in the, in the closet, still sitting there. Actually, um, I remember it was my first year uh, uh, in the league, and uh, Glenn Hanlon's uh, second year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn and I played against each other many times, and we knew each other very well. And uh, um, I had to go buy some new suits. My <laughs> new Westminster Bruins suits were not doing it for the guys, so <laughs> went over to. Uh, uh, Paul Malicello, uh, a guy that had the suit store in uh, North Vancouver, and picked up uh, the lime green suit with the bell-bottom pants. Oh yes, and the open-collar <laughs> shirt. Yeah, yeah, it was it was styling. I. I, I thought about br bringing it oh. out here tonight. It would have been, <laughs> been a classic, but uh, I honestly, maybe the bell bottoms would fit on the legs, but I don't think the waist would have worked. Ah, the problem there, is the waist. There, but there honestly, if you open enough buttons up top, it'll, <laughs> it'll distract from the waist. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But it's always great uh, being able to catch up with you here, Stan. And, you know, we had a chance to talk to Trent Colt today and Ryan Johnson a lot about, you know, how far this organization, Abbotsford, has come since its inauguration this past fall. And, you know, this big matchup here now against the Marlies tonight, and this is a team that is in the thick of not in just being in the playoff race, but having home ice advantage in the first round potentially. When you guys plotted out what the first year of Abbotsford looked like, how close to the ideal situation is unfolding here so far this season? Well, I think it's unfolding a little faster than than what we thought. Uh, definitely, um, it, and why I say that is basically we got into it so late in mm -hmm. in, in the summer, yeah. and a lot of things had to happen. Uh, but the most important thing about it is is we knew what the building was all about, and we have to fix a few things up. Um, I saw a lot of games in here before when Calgary was in here. Mm -hmm. uh, I know how exciting it can be and how loud this building can get. Um, so with that, though, you've got to bring the right players in. And, uh, and you've got to know the, the players. And that's where uh, Ryan Johnson's come in and, and with uh, the rest of the staff, uh, the Canucks staff, that uh, brought in a, a winning type of team. And, and with that, you know, it's the development of our players for sure, but also you've got to bring in the right veterans, the right mixture, the right style that you want to play. And, uh, and Ryan has learned over the years uh, 
uh, of being able to get those types of players, but you also have to sell them that it's a new right. organization to these players. And uh, we, we were able to sign a few. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen where we're a little, f we jumped on it early. We we're able to get some of the players that we want. And that's why we're having the success that we have uh, going right now. And then the PTOs, mm -hmm. you know, this has been a season with a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, call-ups, a lot of injuries, uh, the COVID situation. Uh, it hasn't been easy uh, getting players in and out. And again, you got to know the players. And yeah. again, that goes to uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, knowing the players, what players he wants to bring in, that it's going to be the right mixture in that dressing room. The team's playing well right now going into this really important homestand. And Stan, as you mentioned, the, a lot of PTOs, some injuries, and uh, talking to Trent, talking to Ryan, and, and what they had to say about keeping the energy high and, and keeping the competitiveness high. Um, you mentioned the, the fans here in Abbotsford can get loud with this stretch of games here. Uh, how much of a push could this team get from a, a big fan support here uh, for this homestand? I think it's a, it could get a big push. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, I, I don't think there's been an identity yet with, with our players and the fans here because of the COVID, yep. uh, because of the floods the change of our schedule um going away for 10 to right. two weeks uh, 10 days to, to 14 days uh and i don't think that identity's been close but now that the team's starting to hear names mm -hmm. starting to hear names that are up with the with the big club that are are are, are back here now uh starting to hear the 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 Rempels and, and those type of players that are scoring on a regular basis and 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 they're starting to make that connection but I think we're quite there yet mm -hmm. um, but the one thing the players have said that when they have played and gradually as it's gone along and that that this is a loud building mm -hmm. and the fans get into it and even more so I think with the knowing it's part of the Vancouver Canucks players and and that that the the fan gets excited and when you see that excitement in, in this in this building it, it it goes right to our bench right right to the players that uh, they can play that exciting brand of hockey well you mentioned that you brought players in you're trying to build a certain playing style here and now obviously with the changes that happen in the organization or new regimes in place new coaching staff and and sometimes when change happens, it's an opportunity to align. And considering there's a new organization here, a new regime in, in the front office, moving forward in the future, how similar could we see the style of play here versus the style of play with the Vancouver Canucks and how those things can be really symbiotic moving forward? And as time goes on, you're right. Like Next year, potentially, if Jack Rathbone has a big year and fans here saw him play, that brings a connection to the Canucks and the Abbotsford franchise. How much can you guys align the playing styles of both teams in the future moving forward here? That's the game plan, you know, uh, with, uh, with Jim when he's taken over uh, the team in, in December and now with Patrick uh, uh, coming in, uh, forming our management uh, group in Vancouver and the style, uh, the type of team that, uh, that we want to be to be successful. And we have a game plan, and that game plan goes from, from the top team down to our farm team. And that's working, working with uh, our uh, with Bruce, uh, getting to know Trent uh, down here in the style that we want to play, uh, systems that we want to play. You know, we we want to provide the players everything we can. 
may, off the ice, on the ice. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you got to make the players feel comfortable when they get called up, and the system's so important. Right. And you have to play that system in your farm team. You adjust it as a coach down here. You got mm -hmm. enough games that some nights you, you can't. You got to change it, and you're playing, uh, you know, three games in four nights. So you, you adjust it. But at the end of the day, you're always going back to that system that the players are comfortable playing and being successful at, and being able to, if they're called up, being able to play the system there. Uh, we've seen a number of those players were called this year, and uh, I think a lot of them have had success playing for the Vancouver Canucks, playing in the NHL. What do you think is key for the players that get that opportunity? They, they, they play here, they establish themselves as a call-up option, and when they get that call uh, to carry that play over, transition that play over, what is the key for, for those players? I, I think the key, I think there's a couple things that go into play. For me, that I, what I'm seeing a little different from the other call-ups from when we had the team in Utica mm -hmm. is here, the, te the players have more identity with the players here right. in, in Vancouver. And I think they're, they're really comfortable being able to go in there a, a, into that dressing room. As a, before in Utica, there wasn't quite that connection. They knew each other, but not what it is now. I think a player feels a lot more comfortable going into that. Yeah. And when you're feeling comfortable, you got that confidence with, uh, in that. But from the other thing, and I know Trent says that, don't change your style right. You know, you, when, when you go up there. When I had coached in the AHL, I says, you know, respect the players that you're playing with, but don't re respect the players mm -hmm. that you're playing against. <laughs> right. Because if you do that, you're going to be watching. you got to go out there and initiate and play the game that you have to be successful at. Well, absolutely. And I think part of that also comes from preparation, being, you know, really ready for that opportunity. And, you know, obviously in years past, a lot of players graduated quickly to the Vancouver Canucks, the higher-end guys and stuff like that. And we've heard Jim and Alvin talk about how maybe in the future it'll take a longer-term approach with some of the guys coming up. How do you kind of walk the line of being patient but not being too patient and giving a guy a little of extra time to get seasoned? Like, can it? how fine is that line between – taking a guy up too soon and maybe leaving him down too long. And is there such a thing as spending too much time in AHL? I don't think there is um, because the player knows when he's ready. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, the coaching staff know when they're ready. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and for us as an organization, and that to be able to do that, you got to have the depth yeah. within your organization. And I don't think... When you don't have that depth, then you're rushing players. And that's what we don't want to want to get into. We want to get into where we're going to have that depth, where we'd be able to keep a yeah. player a little longer so that player is comfortable and confident taking that next step. How much of the uh, evaluation process at this level, the American level, um, has to do with uh, role here, the way that they're being deployed here versus the way that a player might be best suited to play in the NHL? That's a big part of it. I think uh, the sooner, like like every player, wherever they play at in the Western Hockey League or the Ontario, Quebec, or in college, uh, um, every player has something to bring to the game. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and you've got to bring that to the game. But you have to adjust. Um, you know, you're not going to be the player that you think you are playing minor hockey or in the Western Hockey League. You're going to have to come yeah. up. And the quicker you recognize that as a player of what style of player you have to be, 
that I'm not a power play guy. Mm-hmm. The quicker you recognize that, the quicker you're going to get to where you want to go, and that's to the NHL. Well, you're right. It's figuring out who you are as a player, and that makes it a lot quicker for you to get to that point. And one of the things that I know you talked about some months back when the changes happened about this organization finding its identity again, and that's something that doesn't get built over a day, right? But a lot of new people in the organization, a lot of qualified individuals uh, in in uh, in positions of authority with this organization. You watching it and seeing how things are coming together, how encouraged are you by those steps that are being taken to try to find and build that identity for this organization again? Yeah, you have to have that identity of what type of team you are and what type of player you are. And I think we've gotten away from that. And uh, um, now when you have people in charge that have been successful and have won Mm -hmm. Stanley Cups, uh, and what they bring, um, and the success that we've had in the past also uh, uh, of that type of player. I think when you get that combination and you get that trust in what you want to do as a group and you're going to have different ideas and you share those different ideas, mm-hmm. that's where you get your identity. And then that identity has to come from your leader all the way down. And uh, we're in a position now that we've ha- we've got a leader that's been successful, has won Stanley Cups. We've got a position with Patrick and his GM of what he wants, type of te- team he wants to, uh, to bring in here. So once you have that in place, everything else filters down. But sometimes it takes time. And <laughs> right. the hardest part is we're, fo- we're, we're dealing with is, is, to be honest, is our salary cap. Yeah. You know, I think we have people in place to get players and and bring in players um, and get some uh, depth within your organization and make it more competition within the players. But the biggest issue we got to deal with is is the salary cap moving forward. We've seen what uh, this market uh, is like when uh, there's a team competing for the Stanley Cup and the, the, the intensity is there and there's such a connection, I think, between the fan base and the players when, when things are going well. Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with, as you said, Stan, the, the team's identity and how they're playing and, and how they're getting those results. Uh, you've been here with the organization as a player and in management and in coaching roles as well for a, a big part of it. So you've seen the evolution, but I think ultimately, whether it's in the 80s, the 90s, or the 2011 team, uh, there there seemed to be some crossover about uh, what made those teams successful and what made them uniquely Canucks teams. What do you think is the key to, to being a Canuck and to, to being a Canuck that, that's on a team that is competing for the Stanley Cup, which I think it, that's what the fans want. That's what the people in the organization would all also love to, to see. You know what? The easiest answer is, is to say is hard work. <laughs> you know, that's that's the easiest answer. Right. Um, and I think as you see players as, 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 they, do, uh, as they move forward from uh, minor hockey to junior to college to, you know, AHL, that work habits come into place. Um, as when you have those work habits and you got the skill, just don't believe in that. And just don't stand around waiting for someone else to do it. Mm. I, I, I'm a strong believer when I, I played, I, I tried to initiate. You have to initiate the play. To be successful, you have to. And when you initiate and you play within the structure of your, of your team, you're going to have success. Right. 
So I think those two combinations is, is, is structure within your team plan and initiate. Don't stand around and wait. Well, and, uh, you know, before we let you go, we do have to ask about how the team's been playing, you know, ever since Bruce Boudreaux took over. And obviously the playoffs still going to be hard to get in with, you know, 14 games remaining and everything. But based on how the team has played and given what they've looked like earlier this season, what's impressed you and what have you really learned about this group under Boudreaux? You know what? When the change happened, uh, the biggest change, you know, it, it really affects the players and you wonder how they're going to, handle the situation but um like i i remember talking to you guys with francesco at that time and and the hiring and bruce bruce um and that he was the right guy to come in he's been through it before he has ex experience and he's been successful at it and bruce is a, is a player's coach um if you play hard you do the things that uh you're supposed to out there he's going to give you the ice time and uh and and that and the biggest thing I think I've seen since Bruce has taken over, how he's changed the confidence in a lot of the players. Yeah. You know, from uh, PD yeah. to Brock um, to Luke Shen, uh, uh, all the way through our, our whole uh, team. So how he's brought that confidence within him, and that's just being honest with the players, and that's Bruce. He, he's honest. He's honest with you guys, and he's honest with, with his players. With a month left to go, um, what's what's the hope from from your end, from management's end, to, to to see from this group whether or not the playoffs are a possibility? That's right now is make playoffs. Yeah, you know we can't look any farther than that. It, and if we're if we're approaching it that that way, and our players have mm -hmm. that, they're going to have a chance at the end. We'll see how it plays out. Stan, you've been gracious with your time, which you always are. It's always a pleasure catching up with you, and we appreciate your time here at the Abbotsford Center. And uh, best of luck the rest of the season and also tonight against this Toronto Marlies team. It's always nice when the Toronto team comes in, and hopefully you guys put a <laughs> butt-kicking on them tonight. I'll tell you right now, when I broke in the league, two of the NHL teams that I hated the, the most, Toronto Maple Leafs the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> and I already see some Leaf uh, jerseys in the building They're here. They're hard that to avoid. That, <laughs> I would get pumped up so much when I saw those fans in yeah, hey. our building. This is our building. So it's always nice. It's nice to have that rivalry and, and that. And, and I know I just talked to Lawrence Gilman downstairs, and he's, he's excited about being in here. And you'll see the, the excitement with the fans uh, uh, here tonight. And I promise you guys, next time I'll bring out my suit. For <laughs> I, love I love it. I love it. And uh, bring the suit and send those Marley's fans home unhappy tonight. Absol How about that? Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds awesome. like 80s right. nights coming back next year. <laughs> no question. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Stan. Okay, thanks, thanks a lot, Stan. Uh, That is Stan Smeal. Always a pleasure having him on the show. Canucks legend uh, and also doing great work with the Canucks organization and always fun catching up with him, uh, talking about this organization and what to do in the future. And a lot of the, you know, it's it's been some informative conversations here uh, so far tonight. I mean, you know, we had a good discussion with Ryan Johnson and Trent Call and RJ really about not just development and what they're trying to do, and but also how they're trying to expand potentially and have more of a foothold in Europe when it comes to pro scouting as well and just the overall scouting side of things. And also just listening to Stan kind of outline what they love to do with the AHL team and how in an ideal world it really aligns stylistically with what you're trying to do with the big club. And as much as, you know, change can always be tough right in the middle of the season, I think it also allows them now to do a reset and make sure that heading into next season you have real alignment stylistically between the AHL team and the NHL team. 
what we saw uh, with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin in Pittsburgh, the connection that they had with Wilkes-Barre yeah. uh, in the AHL, stylistically uh, totally matched. Yeah. And that is the goal. And I, I do think that uh, the progress that was made in Utica certainly does not go away. Uh, the, the, the emphasis, the building in, in making that team um, one that, that was going to develop players and, right. and have them play uh, roles in the NHL. And look, uh, when it comes to, to Stan Smeal, uh, he's a guy who uh, has basically spent his, his entire adult life uh, associated with the Canucks and not not just, you know, in a passing way, in, in an active way, uh, more often than not. Uh, he has, cares uh, deeply about this organization and, and having the results that, uh, that fans want to see as well. And so to hear him talk about um, the impact of, of having the team here in Abbotsford and uh, the, the payoff that can ultimately come yeah. with the big club. Because, yes, ultimately, the goal is for the Vancouver Canucks to, to win the Stanley Cup. But there are all these little incremental gains that can be made here um, that, that, that will pay off. And, and talking, you know, we, we talked to, to Ryan and Trent today. Stan, Stan has as well, you know, yes. talking about uh, the importance of, of this homestand um, in in a vacuum, but also uh, putting kind yep. of the cap on on this first season here in Abbotsford with this group, and continuing to build off of that. And with, as I think Stan rightfully mentioned, the you know, new management group yeah. that has that's coming in, and in Jim Rutherford's case, coming in with tons of experience and pedigree. No, absolutely right. And you, you know, I thought it was also interesting that it reiterates some of the things we talk a lot about and also something this organization has been very steadfast in expressing from a management perspective, and that is the need to carve out more cap space. You know, uh, you know Stan himself said, he's like, we feel like we have some good players and everything, we feel like we have some stuff, but what we need to do is clear cap space. That That is still our priority. It's very clear what this organization is setting out to do, and that is give itself more financial flexibility to take a leap forward, and that obviously... We don't quite know what that step back, if there's a step back next season, is going to look like. But it's hard to envision a step forward if you're trying to clear some cap space. Because I think they understand, obviously they understand, that if you have cap, real cap flexibility, that's the real options you have. That's how you can take this team to the next level. And if you have to push on next year, I think you do that in order to get that flexibility you want. But at the same time, Izzy, and I talked to Bick about this on the postgame show last night, Let's just say for argument's sake, you know, hypothetically here, JT Miller is a guy they trade. How different is this team next season? Right. I mean, you're you're taking out a big play driver, uh, the guy that uh, we've seen mostly at center recently, but that like that that resets a lot uh, yeah. of the conversation. That uh, probably frames where Bo Horvat is going to to end up um, contract wise, but also in in the lineup. So. It's 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 a big question, yeah. and if the assets coming back uh, improve the team's outlook in the long run, I mean, there's there's reasons that that you hear about it. Yeah. So, could that make them uh, more viable to go after uh, another big name player that they feel is going to push the team in the right direction? Or or even sure. or even if you like don't and take that cap space, like are you that far behind next year? You're still gonna be kinda like let's say this team finishes with ninety points. How far is even if they do a push next year, how far off ninety points are they? 
They're probably, you know, a few points behind maybe. maybe. But it's not a huge difference. The point being that that step back next season may not have to be a significant step back where you're tanking, so to speak, that you're right. just so bad. But you can still be kind of competitive, but then take that step the year afterwards if you clear that cap space. But it's clear the priority for this organization is to find some more financial flexibility heading into next offseason. Definitely. And look, it, that uh, makes all the sense in the world. Yes, absolutely. A lot of good texts coming in. We'll get to some of those on the other side as our broadcast continues from the Abbotsford Center, getting you set for the Abbotsford Canucks hosting the Toronto Marlies, a game you can listen to right here on Sportsnet 650. Brandon Astle with the call alongside of our very own Chris Faber, who's doing the color commentary. Puck drops coming up just after 7. More coming up next on Canucks Central. It is Satyar Shaw with Israel Fear on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.